your source for Big Ten Talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Toggle Empire. Uh, somehow still alive in the desert of sports writing, uh, since of course the since of course all the professionals have been culled. Now there's only us left. Yeah, well, when your payroll expenses are best expressed in Sherman dollars, it's easy to keep a full staff even in these uncertain times and. As a preliminary programming note, if you should hear in the background the relentless, relentless panting of a dog, you're not imagining things. Um, Minnie has met the rest of the production crew for the first time today. She's quite stressed out about it. So we'll try to keep the background noise to a minimum, but... This is also... the largest number of dogs we've ever had on this podcast at once. Of course, that, that so panting there... <laughs> that panting there would have been more appropriate for the Purdue episode, of course, but... It's not unlike the sound of a, of a hard-working engine in the distance. You're also likely at some point, to, you'll hear the nails on the floor, which I've noticed in our recent episodes has been a hallmark of our production sound. And you're also likely to hear the sound of a 70-pound dog abruptly hitting the floor because Minnie does not do well on hard surfaces. Um, if she would learn to just lie down and be still, but, you know, she's a lab mix, so the whole learning and knowing things is a challenge. Speaking of challenges, Illinois surmounted their season-long challenge and got to a bowl game. It is Illinois slash Michigan State week. Just fun all around for both of us. Although, we do get to talk about basketball. But before we get into that, you've got the Wind Fight Tribe Brewster of the Week. Oh, yes. Uh, my very own Moonhound Brew Works this is my little homebrew operation. I don't know. Who knows? We might be expanding here. This is Orange and Brew. Just, essentially, you could call it a Blue Moon clone. It's a wit beer that I brewed out of a kit, added a whole bunch of orange juice and coriander, and uh, then pulverized a whole bunch of oranges and put them in here. Um, I don't know. I hope it tastes half as good as it looks. Um, the first couple I had did. So anyway. Don't mind me. I'm just a slow... A solid person. orange hue, uh, which descends into madness. Because uh, basically, like Illinois, you kind of have to ignore some things that would normally give you pause, such as the fairly large chunks floating to the bottom of that thing. No, there's a logical explanation for them. It's because I couldn't really filter out all of the orange residue. I mean, that basically counts as a fruit serving for me, so I'm ahead of the curve relative to a normal day. It's a smoothie. <laughs> um, the thing is, though, when I said that I put oranges in here, I didn't just mean that I, like, squeezed these things. I mean, I put, I cut up whole oranges and, uh, not quite slap shop. It's something else that's got much finer blades. But the point is that I also left the peel in there because, because Illinois is the type of orange that you can't just get the sweet parts from. You've always got to go through some bitter to get to that sweet. <laughs> Sometimes you have to eat the rind. So, uh, and that, that was certainly the result of the conclusion of the season. But to get there, Illinois had two of the more improbable wins of the college football season in very different ways. To get to six, actually to six and four, and then lost to Iowa, which was predictable. A very competitive game. Seemed to be a, portending, uh, a sign portending great things to come. It, and, did, it did not. And then they packed it up, packed it in, and uh, got bowled over by a Northwestern's third-string offense. 
Yeah, did did after packing up and packing in, they did not in fact begin. Um, so well, they began to suck again. Sure. So bring the season full circle to that time they trailed. What was it? Thirteen nothing to UConn. I you're asking me, dude. I, I know they were losing, and you were absolutely livid about it. Because <laughs> you, because I don't know. It's a thing I've sure, surely explained to the, on this podcast uh, several times uh, about you know just because Illinois has has opened the last several seasons with like a really unconvincing win against a team that was god awful the year before, and then you see a bunch of Illinois fans. Making a whole bunch of like, oh well, it turns out that that true freshman they started like actually, I mean, he looked pretty good. You know, he made some really good throws. Like he made, uh, let's see, I remember this happening with like Woody Barrett, the yeah. like Auburn transfer. Be like, oh, actually, that guy might be a game breaker. Uh, he was not, in fact, a game breaker. <laughs> didn't he, he got benched part of the season, didn't he? Kent, yeah, Kent State turned it around when they went to a different quarterback. Yeah, so, but um, anyway, that ended up not being indicative of the whole season, but. It also wasn't. Um, it also wasn't necessarily wrong because they lost at home to Eastern Michigan after getting carved up through the air, um, and then just got uh, pulverized by Michigan. Um, with the course of a humongous comeback, aided by the fact that Michigan stopped trying. Uh, of course, got decimated by Minnesota. Uh, lost to Nebraska despite <laughs> getting the ball inside Nebraska's red zone four times. Uh, and came into Wisconsin 31-point underdogs and won. Uh, and, and earned a win by just stopping Wisconsin's offense methodically. Yeah, and as, as we mentioned before, that, that's what you thought Illinois' whole defense is basically oriented to do because Wisconsin runs a 90s NFL offense in a lot of ways. Yeah. And with a Lovey Smith head coach, that's going to be the mindset that you have. And look, it, you know... Is it a little bit of a broken clock being right twice a season kind of thing? Sure it is, but in a season with this small number of data points, <laughs> that's not a bad it's not a bad volume of times to be right. And the good news for Illinois is you have an extremely high level of carryover. I would guess probably pretty close to the highest in the conference. I'd have to think about that. But this is, I believe, the most the most experienced Power Five team in the country that would be returning. Of course. This is um, so you're going to be 2018 Michigan State. Congratulations on that. This is, of course, not factoring in the uh, apparent loss of Ricky Smalling, the uh, uh, who who is definitely going to start at re- at receiver opposite Imater Bebe, give us two jump ball threats, and uh, disallow people from just triple covering Imater Bebe to slow down our passing game. Um, I've brought him up in the future as a reason that Illinois has some hope in the past game, and you've said, well, he was a freshman, but not after that, so you're, kinda, <laughs> well, you're having a little bit of both ways here. But yeah, obviously but he also not. was, yeah, I mean, you also have to consider that he's a scholarship receiver with reps. Um, that <laughs> sure. has been a bit of a problem. And, and the irony of the recruit that really was the first to give people hope about Lovey Smith reclaiming Chicago uh, transferring out with eligibility left is not lost on me because uh, 2017, of course, being a 2-10 and 10 season, we had to look for bright spots. And the five bright spots I identified were Mike Epstein, Bennett Williams, Lou Dorsey, Larry Boyd, and Ricky Smalling. Only Mike Epstein remains, and uh, I don't know if he's ever going to play a full season. Yeah, he has the ACLs of a Purdue player. So, But, of course, I'm doing... I'm just... I'm, I'm, I'm raining on this parade because a recent event was... Uh, was a bit counterproductive, but still, 
The whole point of playing an offensive line of true freshmen is that you eventually play an offensive line of true seniors that have three years of starts. And the time has come at last, so you've got this offensive line that's going to be excellent. Um, I mean, you've got multiple guys. Well, if not excellent, then it has no excuse not to be pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Um, You have a returning quarterback in Brandon Peters who had some moments, had also other moments where he was very obviously a square peg in a dual threat shaped hole. But again, like that should have been apparent to the staff when they brought him in. Yeah, and I think it was. Brandon Peters was the best player available. They could not get Khalil Tate. And, you know, I guess everybody else they felt they could get to plug that hole was marginal. Um, Their, you know, their, their high school recruited players hadn't panned out. And... They tried to adapt the offense to Peters, and of course, they then also had to have Peters adapt his playing style to the offense, and early on, that went very poorly. Um, Once they got to the, I mean, I I, I point out the Iowa game, and to a lesser extent, the uh, the bowl game, which, the bowl game, uh, as evidence that Peters really sort of accepted his role by the end of the season as a guy that was absolutely willing to carry it down the field, you know, 10 times, 10, 15 times a game if they if the defense gave him the first down. Um, earlier in the year when he wasn't willing to do that, it was pretty hard to move the ball. But, you know, Iowa was pretty frustrated by by that. He, he dove, he, he made one hell of an athletic play for what I can't believe wasn't called a first down in the bowl game. And, uh, you know, kind of made me, made me convinced that, hey, you know, this could work out. If we're getting the Brandon Peters that started 2019, it's not going to work. But the Brandon Peters that finished up the season, yeah, I think could very well do it. Yeah, and it, it certainly helps if you're running an offense built in a, much of the time around the zone read if your quarterback is willing to keep the zone read occasionally. But As I, uh, as I mentioned numerous times on this podcast, I mean, and, and a lot of stats bear this out, that Illinois' offensive line was much less effective last year than in 2018. And they might not have actually been worse at playing offensive line. They just had a running back playing quarterback in 2018. And the complexion of the game totally changes when you don't have that threat. Yeah. It reminds, did Reggie Corbin go pro or is he back one more season? He graduated. Oh, that's right. Okay. Because um, he, he did not redshirt. Um, or if he did, it was he, Anyway. Um, so Epstein yeah. probably figures to be the focal point of the running attack if he's healthy. Um, yeah, there's... The guys I think uh, are going to carry the ball are Epstein, um, Western Michigan transfer uh, Chase Brown, who is the defensive back Sidney Brown's brother. Uh, Through some weird turn of events, he got some carries last year despite transferring during the season. Um, I have no idea how that worked. but uh, And also a four-star running back in Reggie Love out of Trinity Catholic, who's probably the last of that pipeline that we're going to get. it was a guy that Wisconsin wanted, so running back should be pretty. I mean, running back should be an okay spot, really. I mean, the biggest problems I see for this team anywhere on offense is just going to be um, receivers outside of a matter of baby, yeah, right? Because receivers outside of a matter of baby. Tight end group is going to be good with Barker and Luke Ford, who, if he's half the recruit he was, yeah. is going to be a decent number two at least. But he's going to be. Really, he's gonna be he's gonna be really important because there is nobody that's a jump ball guy like Smalling was uh, outside of a matter Bebe, and then Trevon Sidney from USC, the slot guy. We never really saw what we had in him because he was injured so early. Uh, we had some walk-ons step up, um, so 
the, the receiving core has a lot of options, but not that many of them are all that good. And so we also talked a fair amount last offseason about what the plan would be for Isaiah Williams. I guess I'm still curious what the plan is for Isaiah Williams. Is there any clarity on that, or is it still kind of a question mark? Because that's the kind of talent Illinois doesn't get all that often anymore. you got to make use of that guy. Yeah, it, it's hard for me to believe that he'll play a focal point in Illinois' offensive game plan in the 2020 season. Uh, he was used to minimal effect in the bowl game for some gadget plays um, that didn't really work. One of them works by accident. Um, it, it, fair to say that he hasn't really done what the best case scenario was for him with this offense. Um, and it was always going to be a thing where we landed him by promising that we'd try to get him in at quarterback, and we've tried to get him in at quarterback, and he just can't get the job so far. But, you know, he's still, uh, I mean, he redshirted, um, he preserved his redshirt, so he's going to be a redshirt freshman. There's plenty of, plenty of time left on his clock. Ideally. That being said, yeah, when you're Illinois <laughs> and you have a top 100 athlete, you got to get him on there. But that yeah, brings us well, to... At least he didn't Aaron Bailey him. So, yeah, and then... That brings us to the defense. Right, where also plenty of experience to go around. They're certainly going to miss a couple of pieces in Wooly Batiku and Dele Harding, two of the better players on defense in the conference, really. Um, but there's... I very... disagree with you about Wooly Batiku, but... Well, okay. They yeah, struggle... So... They're going to struggle on the line. That is where they're going to struggle on defense because they've also lost Jamal Milan, um, lost Lorreo Ladipo to domestic violence. Why did you have to be such a shitty person? Um, Secondary should be good, though, in addition to a solid amount of carryover and experience from not just last year but two years ago running now. Um, you also get Mark Wesbeeson coming online after an ACL tear. So he should be a little bit of a shot of star power. And Jake Hansen's probably the most underrated linebacker in the country. Did I see correctly that he's not on the Butkus watch list? Or the Bednarik watch list he's not on? He's not on the Bednarik. He is on the Butkus watch list, yeah. yes. Because that's like 100. Like that would have been yeah. truly ridiculous. But Yeah. Um, um, so the back seven for Illinois should actually be a strength. Uh, the problem is where I was predicting in all those bleak years that we'd have and talent and depth on the line, it just hasn't come to pass. Uh, part of that is because some of our most promising interior defensive linemen became offensive linemen. I mean, that's the problem, is that we've had the most success in recruiting since 2017. The place where we recruit our best offensive linemen from is from the defensive line. Uh, we should really try recruiting high schools instead, but hey, you know, I'm, I'm just an engineer. Uh, maybe that's not my specialty. I mean, there's there's some experience. Uh, Jamal Woods will be will be returning for senior year. Owen Carney um, will be returning at defensive end. And, of course, there's always the hope that uh, Calvin Avery plays up to his potential in the middle of the line. But that's it's going to be a problem um, because everybody that was really a plus guy on the defensive line is gone from last year. And so... When the defensive line gets mauled, uh, it doesn't really matter how good your back seven is if the opposing offense never has to throw. Yeah. Or, if, you know, if you've got your safeties making tons of tackles, that's obviously not great for the reasons that we've discussed. So here's, here's an interesting... And, of course, we got special teams. <laughs> well, sure, that's going to be 
above average to great as it has been for most of Lovey Smith's time. But. Yep. Returning Blake Hayes and returning James Record, who's not Chase McLaughlin accurate, but has, but you know, if you'll recall, the most Lovey Smith sequence of events to ever occur happened against Eastern Michigan, where they opened their drive again at home against Eastern Michigan with a 57-yard field goal that was good. <laughs> this is the loveliest sequence of events that's ever happened. Yeah. So. Here's yet another data point for what an unknown the season is so far, and we're recording this the week before it will debut, so things easily could change by then, but unless and until the conference elaborates on what a Big Ten-only season looks like and maybe moves some dates around, Illinois doesn't play until October, actually. So we say that the season is six weeks away from starting. Actually, it's ten weeks away from starting for Illinois. Um, So, because, you know, they're... First three games of the season were non-conference games, and then they had their bye after that. So, Well, this is the first week that we've recorded podcasts. This is the first podcast we've recorded since the announcement of the cancellation of the non-conference slate. Therefore, this is the first time that we can really reflect on what it means to lose this slate. And if college football were to resume as normal next year and continue on for the next 100 years, Illinois would not come up with an easier conference slate than... An FCS team, UConn, and Bowling Green. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, though. People will mourn that, but I'm low-key not unhappy about ducking Illinois State. <laughs> I was furious about scheduling that game because that program's a threat. I We're perfect against FCS teams. I didn't want to jeopardize it. <laughs> whatever. Yeah, cling to whatever warms the ca- cackles of your heart in these times, man. Um, but anyway, so if we stick with the schedule as it is, that means Illinois is going to play Big Ten games nine weeks in a row starting in October, which feels less than ideal. Um, so I guess the question is, what is a successful 2020 for Illinois? Until the non-conference slate was lost, it was absolutely bowl season plus a game or two. Um, oh, yeah. I was going to go to like, I, I was going to do a road trip, maybe more than one. I don't know. I was going to make a big-ass pregame for the Iowa game, thinking this could finally be the year, since, again, Iowa is diet Wisconsin, and you saw it happen in Wisconsin. Um, and I was 100% for sure going to the bowl game. Well, if we stick with nine conference games, which, of course... The seems... alternative is you play ten, and consider yeah. this. Illinois' crossovers are rutgers Indiana and Ohio State. So you got one of the bad East teams, one of the middling East teams, and Ohio State. If they, for example, were to add a game, say we play 10 conference games, well, you're drawing somebody from Michigan, Penn State, Michigan State, and Indiana. Maryland, you mean? <laughs> or, yeah, Maryland. Maryland. So, so, yeah, maybe, actually, that's a coin maybe, flip. No, it's, well, Michigan State is still, roughly speaking, in the same boat as you. Yeah. Um, Feels like we could take Michigan State at home given. Um, what's happened to the offensive skill position. But still, Michigan State's way more within our wheelhouse than is Penn State. Penn State or Michigan, yeah. But again, (laughs) so two of the four teams that might be dropping onto your schedule are almost certain losses. So Um, it's kind of a wash, in other words. Except that 10 wins gives us the option of going 500, which is, of course, always the goal that I strive for, for Illinois football. I guess. And I mean, I... I guess what I'm also curious about is if half the country, or at least you know the Big Ten and Pac-12, are only playing nine or ten games, 
what do you do for bowl eligibility? Do you really still leave it at six games when there are more bowls now than there have ever been, and you already have a hard time uh, filling all the slots? In theory, there are more bowls now than there have ever been. <laughs> I suppose. Uh, I think that just because... I mean, obviously no bowl is going to disband right now, but uh, you bet your ass we get to October, we're going to see a lot of people just no longer feel like that's worth spending their money on. What are you talking about? You think that people going to the games no. has the first damn thing to no, do? No, no, I'm talking about the sponsors. I would assume those contracts are already locked in, but you could be right. Yeah, but I mean, like, I assume that a lot of contracts that were made before coronavirus have seen themselves recontextualized. I don't know. It's interesting to, uh, that's, that is an interesting thing I hadn't considered, is what does happen to bowl games. Um, but if all we have... Well, think about it really. Like, what, <laughs> if you're going to have an event, first of all, isn't it much easier to say we don't need fans in attendance for what are basically exhibitions than it is to say we don't need students on campus? Because yeah, that is like, true. If you're it saying, could just be all bowl games. Would that be the worst thing in the world? That might be more socially responsible. I mean, trust me when I say you can socially distance the Motor City Bowl. We've done it. We've done done that. We socially distanced the Matt Championship game. Yeah, so so, yeah, we've done it multiple times. Um, It seems to me like a, a bowl game is a much easier thing to operate than a game held on a campus. And what I wonder then is... Do you then just say to hell with bowl eligibility requirements? If you want a team, invite them. I think that would be pretty awesome. You know why I think that would be great is that we could finally, finally in the year 2020, get something that we couldn't have gotten in any other year. And that Texas, is, Texas A&M. Is that not what you were thinking of? That's not what I was thinking. Of. <laughs> Even better, at the end of every year, we always talk about how great it would be if we could settle who is the worst Power Five team. We could do that. We could do, like, 2016 Rutgers-Kansas. We could, like... They actually played that year, didn't they? Yeah. (laughs) Damn it. Bad example. But you you get my drift. You get my drift. You know what I'm talking about. But the the problem is, like, what bowl is going to take up that math? Oh, no. Never mind. The Cheez-It Bowl will do that. (laughs) I answered my own question. Okay, yeah. Or the Red uh, Box Bowl. I don't know. so, So, anyway... If we're just taking bowl games out of the equation and all we have is nine conference games, I would legitimately be happy with five and four because that would be the first Big Ten winning record we've had since 2007, which is appropriate because this has no excuse not to be our best team since 2007. Absolutely none. And you know what? Ultimately, no matter how many they win, I've already lost most of what this season was going to be for me because... You know, I'm not going to be able to... I I finally had a team that was worth, like, getting really excited about. I'm not going to be able to do college football season like that. Maybe if they still allow fans in, I will sneak my way into a game to preserve my streak. But You know, I'm looking at Illinois' schedule, and let's just pretend for the moment that the nine-game conference schedule stays in place exactly as it is and nothing changes. Um, You know that... It's very possible that Illinois would go into the last game of the season at four and four, right? Because yeah, so we'd finish four and five. There is no way Lovey Smith will ever, ever beat Pat Fitzgerald. None. It will <laughs> never, ever happen. If we couldn't even contain them last year, 
There is just no chance that Lovey Smith ever, ever defeats Pat Fitzgerald. You can you can book that. You can take that to the bank. You can take that to the grave. Take that wherever. Illinois' next win over Northwestern will come after the Lovey Smith era or the Pat Fitzgerald era ends, whichever is first. So, if we're talking about other games, we've basically functionally got eight games in which we have to go five and three. We're not going to beat Ohio State. Uh, so then we have to, we have two games with predetermined conclusions. And then seven games in which we need to go five and two. So, we're already looking pretty dicey here, aren't we, folks? Yeah, that road trip to Indiana is not going to be a cakewalk. No. you got to go to Camp Randall this year. Um, they're certainly going to be ready for revenge. I mean, th- it, it, you know, say it every year, uh, Wisconsin lost this key player. So, you know, maybe they won't be as good. Well, they probably will be just as good. Yeah, no, it's it's fair to give them. They'll never replace Ron Dane. They'll never (laughs) replace Melvin Gordon. Never. Twenty years later, they'll never replace Monty Ball. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, that sounds like we're putting a lot on Illinois here. But uh, to be fair, my God, (laughs) isn't it about time we had some expectations that involved them winning some games? Sure, but uh, remember, like the. The pre the normal rules like there's no way that they're gonna sensibly be applied to the season as it exists. I mean, it, it, I I would expect that if the major conferences are not working on adding one more game, moving their schedules around, if they really plan on sticking things as they are, it's got to be because they have some assurance from the NCAA that to the extent there is a postseason, their position is not going to be impaired because of it. I mean that. Otherwise, what are you paying a commissioner for? You know, as far as other things that are going to make the 2020 season bizarre, imagine that we have a hell world where games are won and lost by, you know, attrition from failure to clear coronavirus tests. Like, imagine how, imagine if instead of, you know, all week we're, we're, we're worrying about, oh man, is this player going to be injured? Is, oh my God, what was Brandon Peters' COVID test result today? Can he be cleared to go back? <laughs> Oh boy! I just, the closer we get, I just don't like we've we failed as a country to get where we needed to be. I guess we'll see. I mean, there's a there's a lot of money driving this. That's about the only countervailing measure is when the money's involved, we find a way. Well, here's the thing. Okay, I've been pushing this myself, but I think there are you know there are plenty of voices that need to be heard because yeah, we obviously feel this way. But, you know, we've also heard from people with platforms that one assumes that one earns by being very respectable, such as Clay Travis, who, you know, just keeps giving the Corona Bros bad news that the testing in for athletes is, really, you know, not all that many cases. And that the deaths, you know, we're, we're you know, like, we only had like 900 people die yesterday. It's not like an explosion like it was. You know, the deaths are holding pretty steady at like a few hundred Americans a day that are dying. So like, there's no reason that college football shouldn't proceed. Anyway, my point in saying this is that he holds the key to the salvation of college football season. Because obviously he knows coronavirus is no big deal for anybody that's healthy, like a college football player. So he needs to show us the way. Clay Travis needs to go and get himself coronavirus and then publicly make a spec, like publicly defeat it kick its ass once and for all with no ill effects afterwards like he's been preaching will 
It's exactly what any, any healthy person would go through. And then we can save college football. Clay Travis, you need to step up and save college football. We save. know you're man enough to do it. What's the holdup? Save it from media types like us who... What are you waiting for, Clay? The season's at stake! Yeah, somebody's got to rescue it from the sports media types like you and me who don't want sports to happen because no. that's, what, that's, that's what's been the most successful thing for us. It's contributed hugely to our happiness to just not have any sports, to be trapped in our houses with nothing but Hulu reruns to watch. Yeah, no, it's been absolutely great not having college sports. We don't want it. Own us and take back the college football season. Well, the other thing is... The reason that Clay Travis needs to do this is because, like, I, I couldn't do it. I'm, like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big-framed, like, 300-pound guy that, like, even though I, I work out daily, you know, I always need to have my, my rescue inhaler on me because I have asthma. Now, if there's one thing I know about football players is that that doesn't describe any of them. There are no college football players that fit the profile of being over 300 pounds or have asthma, you know, or any of those risk factors. So... Clay Travis is way more like college football players than people like me. I can't do it. Only he's man enough. Save us or shut the fuck up. Let's talk basketball. As with a few other teams in the conference, the NCAA tournament cancellation meant the end of an absolute party of a season for Illinois fans. <laughs> Very Why? understandable. Um, <laughs> return to the tournament field was all but assured. They were just outside of a tournament or, or outside of a conference title share at 13-7. and seven. But it's still, I mean, even with that disappointment, and there were definitely some games they lost that they shouldn't have, it's still hard to call the season anything but a success. There's Brad Underwood, he just completed his third year at Illinois, and he already has two, like, Hall of Fame dick trips against Maryland. <laughs> but, I mean, well, but, I but yeah, at the end of the year, the thing is, the end of this year, I'm not too mad about that one. It was really stupid, but I can laugh about it. Yeah. Um... Sucks that we... And the one, the, the mid-game jousting between you and DJ, our chief Maryland writer, <laughs> over, coach was no, my over. coach is dumber! Like, it was... <laughs> yeah, and they finally had a chance to joust head-to-head. Anyway, um, no, this was absolutely, I mean, this was, with no qualifiers, the best year for Illinois since D. Brown. Because, I mean, from a record perspective, 13-7 and seven in the Big Ten, that's... Definitely the, the the best Illinois team since D Brown's senior year in two thousand six. So that's a hell of an accomplishment, especially when you consider um, just how many moments. You know, I mean, probably more memorable moments in this season for Illinois. More memorable, big time, <clears throat> high tension moments than like at any point since in the entire John Gross and Brad Underwood eras combined previously. Yeah, and so. The non-conference was a little bit foreboding in some ways because amidst a sea of cream puffs, I mean, there was a manhandling by Arizona, which, understandable, Arizona was a good team. A very bad loss to Missouri. It's an awful, yeah, awful loss. A hideous loss to watch. Um, also lost to Miami in the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, and, uh, well, so, but the thing was... Coming back from a 27-point deficit and blowing it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Well, you also did that against Michigan State later, but... Um, those early results, looking back on it, were certainly... I think the scheduling was perhaps motivated in part by the fact that they completely changed their defense. Uh, something that, look at, you know, this all this time... It feels like this season was 10 years ago now. 
So you have to dimly recall, but yeah, Illinois used to press all the time, remember? Yeah. <laughs> and it never worked, remember? Or sometimes it would. Yeah. But and this usually, is, usually ended up with all your players either exhausted or in foul trouble or both. And, and this is where, you know, I, I have to backtrack on a lot of nasty things I said about Brad Underwood because he proved me wrong that he was actually willing to change the system to get the most out of the players that he had. And that's exactly what happened with the defense. Uh, the, the biggest tip of the biggest hat that I can put on my big <coughs> ass head. He's wearing one of those giant foam cowboy hats you get at the like county fairs, like the, not even the county fairs, like the traveling fairs that post up in strip mall parking lots. Or like, like the, the, uh, like the, the five foot, yeah, like the five foot brim one. It, it's like it's not orange and blue, which is strange for him. But anyway, I'm hoping that this gives you the visualization you it's, need. It's so. it's it's kind of like a like a deep red and almost almost maroon. So like. Peak Underwood yelling complexion. Yeah. Um, so, substantively, on the court, Illinois is powered by a couple of, you know, if there's been anything optimistic about Underwood prior to the season, it's that, well, he's bringing in really talented players. And we saw that barrel on the court where Ayodo Sunmu and a freshman sensation, Kofi Coburn, were really the dynamos that powered the team. I mean, if one of them was off, Illinois was not going to be having a good night. Um, and the fact that those two were, were so good helped cover a really disappointing sophomore season from Georgie Bashanishvili. Uh, I might be emphasizing that wrong, but I'm saying all the letters. But so, the fastest on the wrong syllable. Um, they, they, did find, they did find some problems in getting a consistent third contributor, but they had enough nights where guys like Alan Griffin or Trent Frazier or Andres Feliz were on that they usually found support for Io and Kofi and made it work. Georgie found himself in a weird place because his... his, his because he's a five. And he, yeah, and and he, but he's him, also... So. He's a five that has a completely different context than Kofi. So his success mainly came within the context of the system they were running last year, which, as we've discussed many times, was just not all that effective. Um, that's not to say that he can't do anything else, but um, fair to say maybe he overperformed in, as a freshman... Which is not to say that he doesn't have potential to, to, to emerge better than that, but he was not very good as a, as a four. They, they had this Twin Towers thing that just never worked. Um, no, because who the hell is he going to defend as a four? Like, he couldn't defend anybody. <laughs> and also, like, he, not really a, a particularly good shooter. I mean, his, his whole strength was he had some slick, not physical, but slick post moves to get to the basket. Yeah. That was how he was scoring. And, you know, why do you need to do that when you can just give it to Kofi and he's just going to run over people yeah, and dunk Yeah, then he them? just turns over, jumps, and dunks. So, um, or, or he'll <laughs> hand it to Andres Feliz coming in at 50 miles an hour. Yeah, and we, as we sit here in not quite the last week of July, there's still a lot in the air for Illinois. The deadline to withdraw from the NBA draft is August 3rd. Io Dosunmu and Kofi Coburn are both still in the draft. Um, those are the two best players on Illinois' team. Who comes back is going to make a huge impact on whether Illinois is right back in the title hunt next year or falls back in the middle of the pack. Well, Io's obviously the better player. I got to feel like Kofi would hurt us more if he lost, though, because yeah. it, it, Io is kind of irreplaceable. In the, I mean, 
Look, there. I have been waiting for a player like this that, like, I, I think, you know, <clears throat> the only comparison I have for sports is uh, either um, either early aughts Dale Earnhardt Jr. at Talladega or Aaron Rodgers in the first half of the 2010s as far as, like, I want to watch that guy, you know, in the clutch moments because I just know he's going to do it. Sure, that cl- those clutch moments though may have slightly inflated the impact he actually had on the court, because we talk about a guy being replaceable. Look at Illinois' roster with or without Coburn. Tell me who does the things that he did. Look yeah. at it with or without Io, and tell me who does the thing. It's much easier to find a guy who at least replaces the production that Io does. Maybe not the impact moments, probably or, not or the even the consistency. Shooting. I mean. Because Io, you know, you, you talk about somebody's average, but he never had a night where he dropped forty. It seemed like he just always had exactly eighteen points every single game. But it also seems like we were all expect like before the start of last year, Illinois fans were generally just grateful that he didn't go to the draft as a freshman uh, after his freshman year. Not that he would have been drafted, but there was certainly the possibility. Everybody, including Brad Underwood, was expecting to lose him to the draft after 2020. I do not think Kofi Coburn had the same expectation. No. And you can not see all. that in the roster construction because Underwood has already kind of brought in the successors to Io Dasunmu. Uh, it's it feels like he was expecting to have Coburn for at least a year or two. Yeah, there, there's there's nothing that comes close to replacing what Coburn did. Um, no, and offensively and defensively. That's a good way of pivoting a little bit to the recruiting discussion because if Io should leave, Underwood does at least have the uh, safety cushion of an excellent guard combo coming in. Um, Andre Corbello and Adam Miller are both top 45 players nationally um, and could probably combine with Trent Frazier and Andres Feliz. I think you'd probably start Corbello and Feliz and bring Miller and... Feliz or, is graduated. I could have sworn he was coming back, but... Nah. All right. Um, now, Feliz graduated, Tevian Jones transferred, and so and did Alan... Alan you may Griffin. have been thinking of Alan Griffin, but he no, also I transferred. Have, I may have been, yeah. No, because I knew Griffin had transferred, but in any case... Um, Tevian Jones was a transfer that we also all knew was coming, because when was he not in the doghouse? He was literally always in the doghouse. I remember him playing one game last year. Free Tevian was... Uh, Free Tevian is probably the biggest meme of the Brad Underwood era. Um, well, in any case, it, <laughs> but point all, being, all the better. You're going to need both of those guys immediately, whether Io comes back or not. I would rather have Curbelo and Miller than Io. Controversial take. I think Andre Curbelo is a better point guard than Io Dasunmu. That's mm-hmm. not necessarily to say he's a better basketball player, but he's been a better distributor. Um, may not be as efficient a scorer. But I think he has more upside as a lead guard. Um, you know, again, I don't know that anybody's ever going to be the heart and soul of a team like Ayatasumu, but I guess what I'm saying is I'm really excited about the guards. I'm really concerned about the front court. Yeah. Um, the good news is that um, 
the good news is that what that Department of Homeland Security thing got overturned. That thing that might have allowed uh, DHS to deport our entire front court because uh, <laughs> Kofi Coburn, Georgie Bashanishvili, and Benjamin Bosman's Verdonk all—I don't know their immigration status, but I do know they all have foreign passports. Yeah. So when we still had this situation where to try to force schools to open, you know, they're they're going to threaten, you know, oh, if it's if it's uh, if it's online only, we're going to kick all the international students out. Yeah, of the and that'd be pretty Illinois for us to have no one over six six on the roster because ICE deported our whole front court. <laughs> oh boy, um, and I mean honestly, like even Brandon Lee, he sounds pretty German. They might, even though he's from, he's just an in-state Illinois kid. Like, oh, this guy. Back to the fatherland with him, am I right? As they slap him in cuffs and vanish him in a van. Um, yeah, so Bosman's Verdonk, of course, uh, got just amazing name. I love saying that name. Um, did not play a lick last year. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh, development guy. Um, also not really fair to necessarily call him a big, but he is a forward technically. Uh, I think Coleman Hawkins is, uh, I think, uh, what, he's, he's a high three-star guy, 6'10 forward. So it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do if Kofi Coburn does not come back. Um, I think you've got to play Georgie 30 minutes a night and hope he regains his freshman year form because there's not much else here that you can expect. I mean, Lieb is not going to give you anything except five fouls if you throw him out there as a freshman. Absolutely. Yeah, I I don't expect him to be a guy that's going to be ready right away. Coleman Hawkins can't really... Hawkins is actually a pretty decent stretch for. uh, So... He would probably be a lot better suited to the role they tried to put Georgie in last year than Georgie was. Yeah. But the question is, can Georgie do Kofi things? I don't think he can. Um, but, man, you know, hey, guess what? Wouldn't be 2020, wouldn't be something 2020 related if everything weren't massively up in the air. Your source for Big Ten Talk, it's off tackle. Empire!